0: Nobody went to school for sales. Each of us has our own journey, a journey that ultimately reveals the two opposing forces, the art versus science, the relationships versus the metrics, selling versus sales. What side are you on? This is the Love Selling Hate Sales podcast.
1: Welcome to the Love Selling Hate Sales podcast. Today, I'm joined by Damian Thompson, who's the founder of VP Sales. Damien, thanks for joining the show.
0: No, I'm excited to get this happening.
1: Yeah, me too. So listen, we're going to start right off. The first thing you ever said to me was I help founders get over the head trash as it relates to sales.
0: Yes. Talking so it's funny, that. I had a um, VP of sales when I when I was kind of pilling the website and doing some things, like the headline that I put up there that resonated very well with a lot of people was uh, for founders who hate selling, right? Was mm-hmm. the idea. And so it's my Background. So I spent fifteen year odd years uh, in corporate selling, you know, building enterprise sales teams for right. companies like McAfee and Trend Micro, but selling technical tools. Like, so my mm-hmm. first ever real software sales jobs is I worked for, net, uh, sorry, for Sniffer uh, Technologies, which back in the good old days of the late '90s, when I started, uh, back then bandwidth was expensive. Everything was expensive, That's and so, right. so th- there was a whole market of tools that would analysis and testing tools to make sure packet loss and all that kind of stuff that people mm-hmm. don't care about all today, right? But back then they did. Um, And so, uh, you know, so that was the first kind of foray I had. So I sold a very technical engineering tool to very technical engineers. And so that was kind of my real beginning. And so I've always kind of sold into that market, even when I saw enterprise. And then when I kind of burned the suit and tie about a decade ago and decided I wanted to get more into the kind of small online, all this kind of new stuff that was happening, um, all the people I met with, people like in the microconf communities and Mm -hmm. all these kind of founder communities were technical people for the most part, right? It's Got essentially, it, okay. you know, and so they had decided they were you know coders mostly or or maybe they're product managers or they had some technical skill that they were doing right. for someone else and decided either they started a side project and started doing it or they just you know did the VC startup route as well. That's but right. generally I sell to technical founders. That's who that's who dominated SaaS space up until the last couple of years it would have been unknown for someone to start a software company that didn't have technical skills you know up until right. a few years ago, right? Um, but no so in all of that I learned a lot of you know how engineering think versus how salespeople think and kind of how those two words are different. And even in my enterprise days, you know, when you run sales enterprise, you actually end up running the sales team and the sales engineering team, right? Mm-hmm. In a lot of companies. And so, uh, so you kind of then see it well, and you see all these kind of interesting ways. And I was to say that, that SE is that hardest job to hire for because they have to be living both worlds and it That's is right. two worlds. Right. And so in all that, I've learned a lot of stuff. And I think almost always what happens is when I teach, you know, back when I first, my job was teaching people how to sell to begin was inevitably the people I was seeing have the more success over and over and over again, were actually were the engineers. They were the mm-hmm. operational people because sales is a process. It's That's like, right. you know, and so like, and if you understand that, you know, my, my joke used to be an enterprise that, you know, I mean, it seems teams salespeople are lazy and, Engineers complain, right? That was kind of, that was the world, right? That was was kind of thing. Now, I'll clarify that when I say they're lazy, what I mean is they're always looking for a shortcut. They're trying to get something faster. There's a revenue goal they want to hit. And so they're they're kind of doing that. So they also get a little bit sloppy. They try to skip a step or two because they want to, you know, get to the end. And All that, you know, enthusiasm sometimes works out that way.
1: Marketing Um, is the same gripe, by the way.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, right. So I hear you. So I I, I do the same thing. My wife said, that's what you do. I said, yep, you're right. And so uh, on the engineering side, when I say, client, look, you're, they're problem solvers. They're looking right. for problems. They're looking mm-hmm. for leaks. They're looking for things to figure out. Some A lot of times that comes out maybe a little more cynical or whatever. And so they get that kind of persona, but but there's there's value in both. Mm-hmm. But the reality is it's both. It's both sides, right? And so the same way that an engineer wouldn't try to write code and just skip every other line of code and hope it works, right? right. You can't skip every sales step and hope it works, right? but yet you do over and over again because there's fear about that specific thing or there's that's the head trash you talk about or more importantly right. they don't really understand what sales is sales is not the fast talking apologize i talk fast but it's not you know the prototypical fast talking back slapping buy drinks at the bar kind of per, you know relationship all that nonsense that people used to think sales were it's still there's some people that think that now and even now when they think of it it's not the tech bro I got an idea man we're gonna make a billion dollars that's not what sales is sales is problem-solving sales Mm -hmm. is trying to understand who your market is how you can help them if you can help them because someone's the answer that is no so I say it's who you serve and how you serve them and like once you figure that out like that's you know and I I use serve purposely because it can't be fast block. it can't be gonna get them in how do I trick them how do I trick them for retention or how do I what what would I do to trick them to win the sale and so all these questions don't work anymore if they ever really did anything anyway and so while well, I think there's a lot of great methodologies and ideas from the 20th century and look I'm a big David Sandler fan from a psychology point of view a lot of stuff's a little tricky right sure. and so the tricky stuff you know doesn't work anymore because the internet our yeah. jobs have changed right so 20 years ago when you were enterprise sales your job was to be a walking brochure for the product you had to know the product you had to know your competitor it's why That's today's right. funny like the, all the SWAT stuff and all the competitive analysis stuff it's not anywhere near as important as it used to be because your job was to know it so I had to have someone give it to me and so I could go and it. talk to my customers right yeah. now they get they know it before they even call you or before, they, before right. you call them and so that, that job has changed from this you know but you still see a lot of times in enterprise we still keep something like oh we, got, well, we can't hold the pricing back oh, so the product back so we're gonna hold pricing back from you contact yeah. us to get pricing or whatever right so this That's is the things right. we do but the fundamental nature of the business has changed that information's free it wants to be free it's going to be free mm-hmm. your job is now to take that fire hose of information and turn it into the trickle of value that they actually need and you got to figure out how you do that. And that is a problem to solve. Every great salesperson I know has three characteristics and, and it's always not on outward display, but they have three. One is they're competitive. They mm-hmm. like to win, you know, um, two, which is why I think some of you hear a lot athletes do I, I i found wrestlers if you wrestled in high school like you're a grit guy you know, money, how, or a yeah. girl right you know you learn you know how to cu- cut weight you know how to you know put suffer right? that kind I of love stuff that. so there's something about that right so and, and so you, you know i think you've you're, you're competitive um the second is you know there's you have a drive to actually um have I'm trying to say how i say this without kind of coming across too hard so i think they have a drive to to be a part of something, right? They want to feel like what they do has impact or purpose. And so, and it sounds a little cheesy, and a little new agey, but I'm telling you, it's true. Like, I don't know anybody, there are people out there with the Wolf or Wall Street guy, but sure. you, the people figure you out, right? Eventually you get figured out that yeah, you're right. a comeback, right? I mean, so like you can't, you can, I guess now it doesn't matter anymore because now you got a career selling these scumbag ideas to That's people, right. but, you know. but I mean, so, so look, you can go make money being not a good person. We know that over and over and over again, Absolutely. right? But if you want to make good money and you actually have a conscience and want to, at night, right? I think that drive doesn't come from how many suckers can I fleece today, right? right. It comes from, I believe I'm solving a problem that's important to a market, right? Or I yep. believe in the mission of my company, or I believe in what this can do. And so I think that belief is important because it has to, that's a drive you through, right? So, so they're competitive, you know, that, you know, they, they have a belief yep. and an the third thing and probably the most important, they're workers. I don't, I'm, you know, they have a work ethic. If you are twice as good a salesperson as I am when we first start something, but I work three times as hard as you, I'm going to win it, you know. Right. And as I to say it's not a math game because it's not, but it is at some point, right? I mean, so it's yeah. the idea of like if I don't everything times zero is zero. So yeah. if you want to know why you're not getting leads, because and you're not picking up the phone. Well, I can tell you why you're not getting leads because you're not picking up the phone, right? And yeah. so like, th- and that's the challenge. I think that what we see from the going back to the engineers thing of this, is they see all of this and they don't see those things. They don't see that it's really about being purpose-driven having you know having an idea and solving problems and, and all these wonderful things that i think the profession actually can't be what they see is they see the p- hard part the right you know, the, the having to find a lead out of nothing that following up a customer that doesn't really want to buy from you they ghost you now you sure. feel like you're stalking them all the time and so yeah. that's what they see all the pressure from above right or whatever mm-hmm. you know that kind of stuff so like it's they see the grimier parts and don't realize when you found your business when you are you know have a company built you can build the sales culture any way you want you can build a business right. any way you want and if you look at more is kind of this idea of I serve. I, it, it's funny how it all ties back together. Like if you think about you know who you serve and how you serve them, if you can't define that, well then in you know jargony speak, that means you probably don't have par- product market fit because you don't. You exactly. know what I'm saying? So I mean like you know like but they, it's just, but it does serve. You, know, you have to have this underlying principle. It's like when I, I teach a lot of cold lead generation, you know outbound lead generation because when you're starting and you're younger and thin founder, that's a, a great way to start getting business where you've got money for SEO and all the rest of that. And so. Inevitably, what happens is the success doesn't come down to the tactic. How many no. emails do you send? What, off, what day? What day? I, still, what day should I call? What time should I call? It doesn't matter. It doesn't Just not, do it. Not that right. Just do it every day, and you're going to yeah. figure it out. But right. the, what matters is do you know what problem you solve? But that is important enough to the customer, right? That you, mm-hmm. What problem do you solve that's important to the customer, right? And who does that customer actually look like? If you know those two things, you can have success in Outbound, right? If I can say, hey, our, people we serve are generally mid to senior, you know, level marketing people in companies, you know, bigger companies. And the problem that I help them solve is they are not managing their freelance content writers well. And because of that, they got a it. there's a real problem. And when I go talk to them, they say, yes, that is one of the three problems I focus on right now, or that is a problem, has been a problem in the last year if you do that great you now know who your market is right what's well, interesting about
1: that is yeah. you know specificity right. wins niche wins and people try to solve so many problems right. and when you can articulate and it's harder than you think
0: to articulate that one thing, thing. Is, well, here's the thing. You get that right. That's yeah. not just the message you use for cold email. That is your headline of your website. That's that is it. your SEO. That is your that is your value proposition. That is everything, and that's all, all it right. ties together. The problem is that again, because we've kind of we ROI marketing to death now. We beat them over the head with, with measurement all the time. And what's happened is we've forgotten that you know, they, some of this has to be creative. We have to have ideas. We have to we have to create things that matter that attract people. And the, you look at the big successes. You look at you, know, you look at Salesforce, right? W- were they successful because they they defined the BDRAE. No. They were no successful software. because no software, 100%. And because Benioff is a G- marketing genius yep. and, you know, they stole, he, he picketed Oracle when they were the thing and Oracle Larry who had money in his company, like they just a they just, yep. just boss moves around the board. They became successful because they've got a boss level CEO, right? The like, right they, they marketing and product and business moves from the very beginning. And, Created SaaS unicorns as far as they're concerned. So like, so stop believing that some special tactic is going to get you the success. What's going to get you success is who do you serve? How do you serve them? You know, and then if you do all of that, that becomes the why me. If someone calls you, you say, "Hey, i will Damien. I sell WordPress sites. All right, you know, I'm a I'm a web developer. You know, I sell five thousand dollar, ten thousand dollar web development sites. I said cool That's why you're not winning.' So yeah, you say exactly. I are a Right, what do you do? We build websites for charities in the education space that have a vision of this. Right. If you become that person, right? if you become that person, not only do you have a clear market for you to go after, you become so referable because when yeah. someone says, "Oh, I going to share," I know who you should talk to. You know, it's like I tell real estate agents, and I'm not a B2C person very much. Don't go be the real estate agent that writes the list of the hundred people you know and goes and does that and bothers everybody at the cocktail parties, and people run from you at the Christmas party because they don't want to get pitched. To another, you want to sell your house, kind of. Be like, said, I'm going to go. I want to pick one community that has golf courses, and I'm going to become an expert about. It every hole on the four golf courses that have houses around it. And then all I'm going to do is sell houses in those four places. And I'm going to write up and I'm going to talk about what hole is good there, how to play that hole, what to do. I'm going to become the expert. I'm going to become the golf real estate guy. And yeah. so anybody who wants to buy a golf course that talks to me, that knows me, he's going to refer to me. And so this is the idea that we think it's new. It's niching down. I you know, was very good at it, that kind of a billboard in the desert and all that kind of stuff. It's not. Like nope. the, you know, the best kind of CEO of the 20th century is Jack Welsh. Right? I mean Jack Welsh, you know, is a, his mantra was number one or number two or get out. Right. So in every he inherited a business that did everything light bulbs, nuclear plants, like literally everything in the middle. And yeah. his thing what made them lean, what did make made them become a winner again was this focus on we're gonna be competitive. We're gonna win in our space. So either we are number one or number two right now, or can get to number one in a short or number one, sorry, or number two and can get to number one in a short. Right. we're create a plan, sorry, or we're going to get out. And so that's what niching down is. Now, the way to niche down, it doesn't need to be, Hey, I'm a broad X do this. If you're a content marketing agency and you tell me you're a content marketing agency, I'm going to tell you you're probably not doing very well. Right. But if you tell me, Hey, we solve X problem for Y people, right. Then I know, Hey, you know what you're talking about. Right. And now, if I'm interested, if I'm why people, I say, "Oh, interesting. How do you do that?" Oh, well, we build da 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 da. da. But yeah. we start there, and this also comes back to the kind of engineering brain a little bit in that where why the SE is so hard is the answer is never no, right? And the answer is never kind of very directly. This is exactly what I do. Like this is you know, it's, no one cares what you do. No one cares what time you get to the office. No one cares how many offices. Stop telling me how many offices you have. Stop telling me how many employees right. you have, how many awards you won. I don't care. Nobody else does. Your mother barely cares. Okay. Exactly. And so like, so just stop, right? Instead say, Hey, Damien, I work with people like you that have problem A and problem B. And we solved that problem. We fixed
1: it before. Yeah.
0: Damn. Yeah, I exactly. experienced fixing that problem.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. So, you know, you've circled around a couple things that, yeah are common themes in this show and one of them is this idea you so you mentioned product market fit right yeah. and i want to tie that to the belief piece yeah. in your three attributes of a seller yeah because i've been exploring this concept of product market fit for the seller for the salesperson mm-hmm. so you know you sold a highly technical product right to engineers yeah. that's different than i sell to marketers yeah. That's very different. So does that belief fit in? Is their product market fit for reps?
0: Yeah. So I, w- w- what's interesting, I, I we're going to phrase a term here and I'm going to steal it from somebody else and then we'll do one together, which is the term I've heard over the last couple of years about this. And remember, I'm very heavy in the kind of the founder communities and but yeah. but non-founded is this idea of like, you know, of product founder fit, right? Okay. I, think, I, think, actually, I think actually, I think actually the lean startup guys are talking about this now too, but I'm not sure it started there, but whatever. So this idea of, you know, product founder fit Whether that product is an actual physical product or a service business. I'll give you a perfect example. When I got out of the corporate, you know, building enterprise sales teams for big enterprise companies and moved to Asia to try to figure out how to, you know, do something salesy online, um, I, you know, got into content marketing accidentally because I did a bunch of copywriting and just found a bunch of jobs on Odesk, which is self-worked back in the old days. And so so I did pretty well. And so then I ended up building this little agency on Odesk because I didn't want to do the work, but I was really good at closing the deals. And so this kind of thing just like organically happened a little bit. And I said, okay, cool, I'm going to scale this thing. So I launched my first kind of personal, my business, my money, not founded by anybody else. Right. It, was it was a content marketing agency and I targeted early stage startups. Um, this is 2011-ish. Um, and I just called the email I got them and I crushed it because I was great at selling the vision, right? So I went out where companies like Quote Roller, which is now PandaDoc and, you know, went right. out, you know, it was kind of their first content marketing person because they didn't, this is early. But the thing was like, back in those days, a series A was a million dollars, not 35 million. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what would happen would be, I was literally just watching Angelus was my home and I'd go in the first site super as I see a, someone notify that something had happened, I go and you know, look at you know, who it was, I do a cold outreach to the founder and say, hey, don't do this, or it was the two triggers were for me where they raised money, or the two was they had previously raised money closely and they were advertising for a content marketing position. So I would call up and say, hey, don't hire, an American W-2 expensive, don't know it's going to work get i bought for 90 days. Da, da, da. I have an agency. All we do is write content for B2B so, you know, software companies. Let us do this for you. And I'll charge you half the salary to pay the person or the salary, but no longer cost whatever it wasn't cheap and, and people loved it. It was a great idea. Here's the problem. It wasn't a good business for me. I, okay. I, 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 I am, I know the business. World. I see them. I know the power of content marketing. I, know that I am not passionate about content marketing. It is right. not a calling for me. Right. And so what was happening was I was building a business to, My passion and my, which is building sales teams. So I was like, hey, this thing's going so fast. It's a rocket. This is. I'm gonna go hire a sales team in a year. Like in a year, I'm gonna have yeah. ten sales guys. We're gonna. This is gonna be great. We're gonna crush the world. I'm not, start. With, I don't even know so publicists Okay. We're gonna be the biggest. You know, whatever. So you know, all that kind of stuff happens. <laughs> and what turns out is, you know, you, there's always roadblocks in the business. And so when those first hurdles start coming up, right? What happens is, I don't care enough about this business and this market to solve these hard problems. Right. And so without, and that's where I think. That's where I think that kind of it really matters that there's some passion there because if you don't, you will leave when things get hard. You know, if you half love somebody and it gets rocky you You're quit yeah, Exactly, yeah. right? When you get married and believe in it, when it gets rocky, you, you grit fight. your teeth and you walk into the other room and then you come back and try to rephrase what you said and you put the work in to make it work. And that's really the difference. You know, I think that's what happens. And so you see that all the time. I think it's the same with salespeople. I don't think it's the skill set so much. I, I mean, of course, you have to have the skill to have success in it. But it is, I see it all the time where we love to do this, and especially in America, especially these days, right? We want someone with 10 years security SaaS experience and selling this product to this market <laughs> which is stupid we, that's what happens and like even then though it was still pretty pigeonholed like if you yeah. were an enterprise you know security guy you were an enterprise security guy there's a reason why I worked at you know McAfee and, and, and Trend Micro exactly because that's what Small they right yeah. and so it happened so but it's not that I mean I got out of that and started selling SMB so it's an understanding of sales that does it but what I found was the, with my passion I, I was good at selling enterprise, at building teams for enterprise software didn't like enterprise sales I didn't like the enterprise-y part of it didn't like the corporate yeah. part on the back end. And so, uh, so, you know, when I was just figuring this out and I figured out over the last couple of years, like I love builders. I love people that build things like build companies mm-hmm. and you know, I'm very passionate about that. And so I think that that's where I want to be. Now the model can change my company has changed a couple of times like all the rest you know what I actually what I offer how I offer it's changed but the people that I help are the same you know yeah. and so that's because I'm passionate about that community it's a community I, here's the test are you on the Reddit thread are you in a community are you in some kind of formal gathering of people in that area if it makes zero sense for you financially or anything else all right? so no. am I hanging out on you know Indie Hacker even though I am not an Indie Hacker and I'm not trying to make my first $100 online of course right. I am because i watch a bunch of really young passionate ambitious people learn cool ways to build things like that's i'm passionate about it's awesome and so that's i think what the difference there and so i think you can not have I think you don't have to have specific passion about the thing you sell as long as you have passion about the people you sell it to. So I think right. you have to have passion somewhere. I think it has to be one of those two sides, who you serve, how you serve. I'm like one of those things has so maybe and I would say if you don't like who you sell it's probably harder. Like if you love machine learning and so you go work for an AI startup because you love that idea, it's going to fit. You, right. Well, you have got if you're selling to people you don't like. Oh, I see people, people you don't like all day, it's not going to be good, right? I mean, I so like that. And so and I think that's sometimes what happens with the set reps that don't quite fit. It's like, "Oh, I liked selling to engineers. I don't like selling to marketers." right yeah. or whatever right or i like yeah, selling yeah. the marketers i don't like selling to market, the market engineers so i think that's more of probably why you like it like probably or people that have that kind of find that serve niche who they actually work for and yeah. it's I mean, it's a much better one to figure out anyway because like what you do was going to change if even if you own the company but if you work for someone else you're going to change jobs at least one more time in your life yeah, exactly. can, right and so make sure you like who you sell to i guess is the short story
1: yeah. So how do we like apply that to the product founder fit concept? Because, you know, yeah, yeah right. no, but so I'm thinking this is great because entrepreneurs, especially like, yes, at some point, a founder is going to turn into an entrepreneur, right? Like, especially if the engineer, they're going to have to, but then entrepreneurs have this tendency to like, want to solve every problem in the world. And like, everything becomes opportunity. Yeah. How do we keep them? focused on that niche because that's where the passion is probably.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. So I think that, you know, and I think sometimes we get this like best practice is best practice, but we don't understand why it's best practice or the reason we assume it's best practice might be off. So the example here, I think is this idea of like, you know, scratching your own itch as an entrepreneur, I think that we kind of miss this a little bit of why. And so I think sometimes we talk about scratching your niche is this great thing because it means there's a market there, right? Mm So if you go out and you have an idea, if you figure, if you have a, if you're listening to this right now and you have a business idea and you've done a lot of research and no one else has ever had it and you think that's a good thing, you are wrong. It's not a good thing, right? Every every decision, every idea in the world is out there, right? So like you want some competition, right? You want something there at least. But the difference then will be like who you serve. But I think that. What happens? Another part of that scratch your own itch is, it's not just that hey, there's a market for this, and it's not just even hey, I see an opportunity because I scratch my own itch. Now I see other people need to have the same problem. It's if you're scratching your own itch, it's probably because that's something that matters to you right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't go fix the problems I don't care about, exactly right? And, right. So, like, you know, and so, like, I'm not going to go buy, pay up for a product I don't care about. I'm not going to go build a product I don't care about, you know? What? So, like, I think that's a big part of it as well. And so, naturally, that's what happens. And so, you look at, you know, builders. You know, I look at, like, the Rob Wallings of the world who built Hittail or, and then built Drift and all that rest of it. Like, those are different products. One's an SEO product, one's an email marketing product. And I think mm-hmm. they both, I mean, Hittail was a purchase, but I think, you know, Drip was solving a problem. And he told us it needs a clever guy. Right. But also, like, like, the people he was selling it to were his people, right? The people that right. were buying drip in the early days were the people that he put the community, he put together through the rest of it. And obviously you have to get bigger than the outside your community to make it a real success. And of course he was right. great at doing that, but like, there's something there like, Hey, I'm going to start here by serving this, p- these people. right? And that's what's going to happen. And then you've chosen those people for a reason, probably they're in your life for a reason somehow, or as where they customers or whatever. And so I think from a cut, from a rep point of view, or even entrepreneur, he says even tougher, I think it's trying to solve the problems I think also it's you know it's I don't want to do the death I don't want to do the whole time you know attention span thing because I don't think that's a generational thing I think mm-hmm. my attention span now is worse than it was right I mean so I think that's <laughs> the case for everybody but it is I think just we there's so much positive news about positive things, or he only see the edge cases of success. And right. so we never see, and then my wife loves to bring this all the time, is that we listened to, we were traveling somewhere a long time, but I think babies in the, in the back, so it played up nice loud. And so it was the Shoe Dog, the Phil Knight uh, autobiography, mm-hmm. which, which he was basically bankrupt and begging for money for 11, 12 years while he was running Nike. Like that was just, I mean, he just grinded and grinded and yep. grinded and grinded. And I know things have changed. I know shoes aren't software and I get it, right? But you look at the the people, even in the indie space, in the the kind of the non-VC founder space, you know, the heroes there are Basecamp, the DA, Jason, Jason, right? That's the beginning. that business is, like, 23 years old now or something like that. it's (laughs) it's not a darling, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, like – and they didn't have, quote, unquote, big success until, like, a decade into that or eight, nine years into that business. Like, we see the success story. It's the – you know, we see the last – 10 yards we didn't see the first 90 you know and so we because we don't know who they are and so we have these weird ideas of how just how long things take how hard it is you know this goes back to work ethic like sorry man like you're not gonna hack this you're not gonna just figure out some amazing thing and have some i'm gonna automate this and use this here and use offshore people here i'm gonna do this here cool that's great but that's not enough like it's not you you, there's not some i'm gonna zap everything together and you know i see this in the no code low code movement which i'm a huge fan of because i'm a big nerd and this makes me feel like an engineer a little bit because I get to pretend <laughs> I make things you know, using other people's software and say it's not software, but right. you know I love that space but this idea that cool, you know xyz launched a no-code product and within you know 30 you know 45 days had ten thousand hours a month awesome. That's the edge case What about the other 99% mm-hmm. right and percent drives me cool it wasn't a, for the other days, ditched it, went on to the next cool thing, ditched it, went on to the next cool thing, ditched it and do that. So I think that becomes a lot too. It's not just so much, they're trying to solve a lot of problems, is they're trying to beat up to unrealistic expectations, expectations right? The, yeah. And
1: yeah, so. the VC world, PE world certainly exacerbates yeah. that when they're, yeah. you know, lighting the fuel on fire with $50 million series A's, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's crazy. So yeah. you've built and scaled a lot of sales teams, right? Both in yeah. your enterprise career and now you're doing that as a service to a certain extent based on yeah. what? I'm seeing from your site and whatnot. So, competitive belief in whatever it may be, and then work ethic. Yeah. I feel like sellers or anyone interviewing for that matter. Always puts their best foot forward in the interview. How do you sniff 100%. that? How do you sniff that stuff out?
0: Hundred percent. You're hundred percent correct. So, you know, I was talking before about how SEs are hard to hire for, and I, I, I do believe that. I think I think finding a good one is hard because this is the skill set is so rare. I think salespeople for not even for sales managers, honestly, but salespeople are so hard are the hardest people to hire for because you're hundred percent right. If you are a mediocre salesperson, right, you can probably BS somebody through a series of three or four hour long interviews. Period. Right. And if you can't, you don't deserve the job. Right. And so, like you know, you can't. The other thing that I'll say, just a little side here, is that what I notice is, and I'll tell this when I'm like working with companies that have oh, teams going up, and you notice who the stars are. So I'll talk to these, you know, 20 year twenty-year-old kids, and I'll talk about how that that was the inflection point for me. Right, when I was twenty-seven when I was doing well. Right, mm-hmm. um, but I wasn't the best. I was doing well. I was making six, early six figures. This was you know twenty odd years ago. It was good money. Mm-hmm. Everyone was great. Um, and you know what I noticed was is that the one person who's you know that that was kind of doing the, my bond essentially he was he just worked a lot like he just worked a lot like he's he worked a lot and I was like okay that's interesting and then but the star on our team the the highest achievement was about me 20% higher than me you know whatever Mm -hmm. and so that he didn't really work that much you just he kind of had that extra experience kind of you know knew some people had some relationships and okay cool and then what I see is I see that you know the reality is that it's not just like the work ethic because like putting hours in like you're working a coal mine it's Mm -hmm. because how do you have you know how do you have insight how do you get that aha moment you have less chance to get it if you don't have less time in front of your desk. Right. You know, so like if you're not thinking about it, you can't get there. And so it's not, we're not in like a hard physical labor jobs here. So no. the idea is like if you've got a problem solve, you gotta solve it. You can't say, Oh, there's four thirty on a Friday, I'm done, right? You're out of here. So I think <laughs> that's another thing why we revere the VC community, so that the VC, the VC funded that startup community on that side is that they, they're workers, right? They're tireless workers. And you know, and then the DH's workers say, Oh, don't work so hard. Yeah. Don't tell what you're doing now, tell me what you're doing 30 years ago. You you, you, <laughs> you wrote rails while you were a consultant, while you worked for basically while you were doing six other things. Don't tell me you weren't a hard worker. Don't exactly. tell me you weren't working 60 hours a week. So that just takes that. Now in hiring, the problem is how do you test for that? Right? If, if you're an engineer, I'm hiring for an SE or an engineer, what do you do? And they hate it. What do you do? Put them on the whiteboard, go walk through a problem, right? If you're hiring for a marketer, what do you say? Show me one of your campaigns, right? right. Show me a, online, show me a customer that you did their campaign. I want to see one of your pay-per-click ads or campaigns. I want to see the content you wrote for this company. I, there's proof of it. I come to a salesperson, I say, Hey, I was the number one last month. I did seven hundred and twenty-five million dollars. I'm the greatest thing that ever happened. And you know why you can believe that? Because it's in a bullet point on a piece of paper or on a That's digital right. screen, right? And there's no way for you to recognize that. You go well, call the company, you're gonna need the HR thing. He was employed here from January 14th to you know tw- December, ta-da-da. he was started this position, he had a disposition. That's all we're legally allowed to say. That's it. That's what's gonna yeah. happen. And so what happens is you have to kind of rely on, well, they're charming. I like them. They're good looking, which sounds ridiculous, but is hundred percent a big factor in getting hired, right? They they dress well, they whatever, the all these other weird notions we have in our brain. So, of course, we make a bad hiring decision, right? We don't know Mm -hmm. that. Come on, testing. That's on the client, on the the candidate side. On the internal side, the problem is we don't know what we're looking for because we have decided we're going to look for this white pony that doesn't exist to come and fix everything. I'm going to go hire someone and they're going to build it all for me because I don't know how to do it, right? So... Instead of, oh, hey, I need to figure this out to a point and then I can hire expertise in. But then they're going to come in and they're going to follow the process I've created, right? Mm-hmm. I'm the engineer who so created the process anyway. So that's really hard on their side. But on the candidate side, what you have to do is you have to test them. You have to do the same thing you do ever else. So how do you test them? Well, yeah, you have to figure it out individually. I've got a couple of little ways to do it. One is give them some opportunities. Like to talk about, hey, don't tell me what you've done, how you did that. Say, hey, this is the situation, right? This is the company we're trying to position. Right? This is what we're, trying, we're trying to pitch. This is our, Here's the bullet points you need to understand about our value proposition, right? I want you to come back to me and tell me how you would approach this company, right? And it, using what you know of us. Mm-hmm. Don't have to give it 100%. We're not expecting this to be correct because you're not going to get it correct. You know what we want to see is how you think we want to see what you do. Cause here's the thing. When that comes back, I don't even really care what it says on there. I do. If it's me crazy, what I yeah. care is, did they do it? Did they yeah. do it in within the 48 hours I asked them to do? Did they do the things I asked you? Cause if they don't. And you expect them to show up and actually do the work when they want to do this part of it. When this is the most important job, this, this is the biggest sale they're going to close for the next three years. is convincing you to pay them six hundred thousand dollars a year. so exactly. So right? like, you know, so if they put effort into that, you think they're going to put effort into selling your, $10,000 SaaS tool? Like, I mean, like, yeah. you know, so like, and so you can, and that's the way to think about it, is like, okay, what am I going to require of them on the job? I'm going to require that they actually do the work, they show off their professional, and we talked like to the wrong things, this idea of like, it's not even it, the skill that's that's what shows the skill the other thing i'm looking at is like is the candidate closing me on the calls mm-hmm. right i mean so he's like, when i get to the end i purposely tell them right hey awesome this is the first interview really good thing here only about 20 percent of the candidates get here just let you know about half the people we talk to get to the next stage we'll let you know either way because i always hated not knowing so either yeah. way I'll let you know yes or no okay you got any i questions going to the next stage do <laughs> you have any questions for me at least say do you have any questions for me if you don't say hey do you think I'm gonna, at what you know so far what do you think i'm on go this stage what could i have done better if you don't try to soft sell me in some way, right? Understand how that, what, okay, that's interesting. Even if you don't want to do that, you say, oh, can I just ask, what's the criteria for that? Like how are you going to make that decision? That's the better question. That's, the like that. that's a check mark for that guy, right? Exactly. You know, you do something, right? Do something or do something awesome. Great. The thing is we'll hire the person that charmed us on the interviews, but didn't ever do any kind of selling actions didn't like try to understand our business any better when i asked them how what do you know about our company and this is a question that people ask all the time hey so what do you know about us and then when they get something back oh yeah do a little bit of little research on the web great but those pass right through no, no, no. cool. What do you find out about something? On the what web? do you know? Right, yeah, right. What do you find out about it? So, like, because you'll see that the people that take this seriously have done something. Well, you know, I checked something, something out on the web. You know, LinkedIn. I said, cool. I said, well, what do you? Do? Okay, here's what I did. I actually went to LinkedIn. I looked at your company page. I looked at the top three. You know, the officers of the company. I then mean, researched. You looks like you went to the school. That's what someone who wants that job is going to do. Now, I'm not saying you fire or don't hire someone that doesn't do that. But my point is, I want to see some level of activities here. But we're not asking the good, right questions. And even when we get at it we're not asking the right follow-up questions so we're kind of like painting by numbers like walking through this oh my god i gotta hire someone tick box tick box tick box i'm just shocked they showed up they're not successful All right? of course they're not successful you hire the wrong person and you're not the systems internally that support them so that, well, i wonder what the problem is
1: yeah, it's interesting because, you know, that practical application, I've seen yeah. that in motion before. And to your point, sometimes I feel like you're almost like leading yeah. and that's not helping the situation, right? That's right. just trying to lead them to water where right. you want them to be to right. almost drive your own internal process that you've decided on in your head, which isn't yeah. helping anybody. Head but, <laughs> yeah. So you think about that idea of do your research, come back, do your practical, Right. And they come back with the most beautifully crafted presentation, whatever they do, this and that. But that last little nugget that you shared around what did you actually do ties to the part that I struggle with the most, which is how can you tell if people are actually willing to take action? Can they process that information and turn it into action?
0: Well, so like, it's a good question. So, I like, think you, you answer it though. That's what you do then So, like, my idea here of that—that that thing doesn't have to be that, right? So, mm-hmm. what it can be is it can be, hey, you know, I want to see action with. I see this in some people; they actually do it. I, I would say probably the teams, the companies are more successful. They do this. So, yeah. I was looking at the other day, I can't remember who it was, but I was looking at an open role the other day. They were for like a chief revenue officer. And I, was, I had someone talking to me. About it, I was kind of looking at it, but they were really specific. They were, and you know, just like, hey, you've got to have this experience exactly. But they were saying, like, hey. Tell us, here's our five streams of kind of inbound traffic. You know, Mm -hmm. bumble traffic, boom, 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 right? Right now, we're doing about this much, you know, is the cost of acquisition here. This is the most... (sighs) what questions would you ask me, right? Giving you this information, what questions would you ask me to get an understanding of where we should actually put our more of our marketing money? Because again, yeah. the idea here is, it's not about you doing, it's, it's, I see some people poo-pooing this already, oh, free work, how did, no, it's not free work, because what you tell me I'm not gonna use, because you're gonna get it wrong. I don't right. care what your answer is so much no way. Yeah. I wanna see, do you do it? Do you do the work and how do you think? Do you do yeah. the work and how do you think? Do you do the work and how do you think? And so, on the sales side, how we do that, because tools are amazing right now, is you use an ATS type tool, like you know, Breezy HR, one of those kinds that has some automation in it. You get people into that they apply, and you filter out the bartenders and hairdressers. If unless you're hiring for bartenders and hairdressers, but you're hiring for a technical <laughs> salesperson, yeah, you know, you know filter those people out, move them to the next stage. You say, great, awesome, congratulations. obviously you say this, it's email that does this. You're, you know, you've made the cut. Only about half our candidates actually make the cut. Awesome, Congratulations Always make them feel good, right? And say, yeah. next thing is we want a little bit more. Can you go here and do this? Now, I generally talk here. I do more. Of a, I still do some more filtering about kind of what you know with their skills. Sorry, like answering questions or whatever. I've seen people say, "Hey, the example of okay, you go read our bl- the last three blog posts and tell us which one you like the most and why, or whatever." You Tie something into the kind of skill set of how they think. The most important part is, "Hey, we'd like this back, you know, within right 36 hours, right?" Yes. As you say. And what you do is, 48 hours later, you go and see if you've gotten it or not. And when you haven't, you immediately disqualify them. Just check them out. And just move them right off. Just they go. And I don't. It's not even so much, I mean, I I care about their answers and I want to get good ones because that will move, you'll move to the front of the line when you dazzle me, right? When you ask good questions. You'll move to the front of the line. But
1: you're you're measuring action.
0: And I measure, I'm, trying to get, I'm trying to DQ people. I'm, my early focus in my sales process, my early focus in my recruiting process are exactly the same. I want to spend a lot more time and effort at the beginning to really qualify people mm-hmm. to make sure we're not. you're not a bad fit. I don't even know if you're a good fit yet. I just want you to be a bad fit. I yeah. don't want to waste my time on a bad fit. When I say waste my time, it's the biggest problem in sales. It's the thing that, bring it all back full circle. It's the thing that our technical people hate the most about selling is after they send a proposal, nothing, crickets. Then they got to chase them down. They got to follow up everybody hates follow up. I don't like follow up. I like cold calling. <laughs> I hate follow up. You know what I'm saying? Follow cuz I lose all my power in it. I am the person begging for someone to just tell me something please. You know and it's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. It's it makes me feel horrible. I hate doing it. So what do you do? You don't do it. So because you hate doing it, you don't do it. So now you send these proposals out into the wild, hope they're going to come back. And when they don't come back, it's way on your bit. Never move from the pipeline. They're there forever, right? Oh, whatever. Right. And so finally someone forces you if, if you if you're a founder, it's just there forever, right? But if you're, you know, sales it's there and so your manager makes you take it out and so, you know, but the thing is the same, like, that eating at you thing is – it doesn't – it wrecks the rest of your job. Like, it's not yeah. even that one thing. It's not that – it's not the revenue from that deal you lost. It's that it takes – you can only take so many chinks in the arm until you're like, I'm done. Like, I just yeah. – I can't take it. I've got thick skin, but this is enough. I, got, I hear no too much. Instead, if we do that really aggressively at the beginning we really make sure you're not a bad fit – you're still not going to win them all, one out of three, whatever, but you're not going to waste your time because you've, you, what happens is they've got such a good fit. If you actually are trying to sell a solution to someone that's a good fit, even if they don't choose you, you're more likely for them to actually tell you no than tell you nothing. And right. telling you oh, nothing yeah. is the problem, right? And so they'll tell you no nothing when you, don't, when you haven't done a good job there. And so it's the same in recruiting. I want to spend much more time up front making sure you're not a bad fit more than if you're a great fit. Now, once we get rid of the bad fits, now it's about great. How do we take good and really focus on finding the you great dazzle. that less? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there's a little bit of psychology that you touched on. I want to get into a little bit here now that we've made the hire, so to speak. So the idea of, you mentioned the sales manager, and I think that's one of those roles that is really underserved in the marketplace. Like who's, who's taught how to be a sales manager? Nobody, Uh, there's
0: it's, it's almost like I gave you talking notes at this way, Josh. It's great. <laughs> so you're 100% correct. And so, you know, you know, in the fact that I love to build sales teams, right. essentially what that really means is, okay, you're a founder at X, 50 grand a month, MR, mm-hmm. whatever. You, you're doing all the sales yourself. Uh, you want help. You want to be able to focus on, you want to go from chief salesperson to chief sa- executive officer, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of the first jump you want to take. So you're going to hire salespeople and you're that. And that's great. And eventually, these times going to come that, you know, you need someone else to do that because I tell them all the time, if you hate sales, you're going to hate sales management even more because all the things you don't like about sales sales are still there, but now you're one person reta- atta- removed from the actual situation. So yeah. now I'm worrying about a filter between me and this, and actually what's happening and that filter is not always awesome, right? Or not even and not they're bad people, just the filter itself, like the communication I get back, the information I get back, the, all of that is not what I would get. And so it's yeah. challenging. And so what I say is, here's the plan. You know, if your plan is, hey, I'm going to kind of hire a couple salespeople, then I'm going to go chill out on the beach in Bermuda, you're wrong. You're going to hire a couple salespeople. <laughs> and those hours that you're going to free up, what's going to happen is you're going to spend those Management instead, but what's gonna happen is the same way you built your process and systems to support yourself as a salesperson, and now you can hire sales people, you're the same thing for a sales manager. And when you do that, then you're ready to go hire a sales manager. Now you hire someone else to do it, now it's awesome. Now you can go hang on the beach as much as you want because you got someone building the product because you got a head of the pro- product and you got a head of sales, awesome. Man, now you can be you know gallivanting around and do that kind of stuff. But you have to understand that's what it is, and so but you're hundred percent right. The problem is we there's a lot of talk about how we take like the star sales rep and make him the sales manager, that's what how bad talking it is, about, yeah. yeah, how bad it is, and I agree. It's bad, but it's even worse than that. Forget that. Even if you need to bring someone from outside. The challenge is, you know, the, the most transformational all right, and this is going to sound self serving, but it's not because so I'm getting out of the coaching. But the most transformational thing you can do, the most transformational training you can give is one on one coaching to a sales rep. And I'm not mm-hmm. talking about the coaching industry. I'm not saying go give some charlatan a bunch of money to give you the magical blueprint. That's all not nonsense. I'm saying when you are a leader of a business, when you're the founder of the business, if you're a sales manager or whatever, the most important thing you do is actually coach that sales rep in a live fire situation. That is the most that you can do. And so in the good old days, when we traveled to our clients, we literally did ride alongs manager would sit in the car with you, you drive together to the appointment, you get out and you do the whole thing. Even when we went kind of virtual, or we did some of that by distance, it was still distance in our office, and the manager could sit in on the call the rest of it. Those days are not gonna be around anytime soon, probably, right? Or so even if they were, like, it doesn't matter, like, we just don't do it as much. And here's why we don't do it. We don't do it, because now we're hiring, we're taking this star sales rep, making them a sales manager, or any of the sales rep, making a sales manager, and we're never teaching them how to be a sales manager. Yeah. We're saying, go figure it out. And, when they're salespeople, even if you think you've had no, no support, no coaching, no help whatsoever, your entire sales career, the reality is there are frameworks in the business that do that for you, right? That's there are right. frameworks that give you that, the product team, the, you know, they've got marketing materials there. You can kind of figure it out on your own. Know, you can watch somebody else do it. If you're a sales manager, if, the, if you're the only sales manager, who are you watching to manage the other team, right? And so you see that a lot. So we're not, and what happens, it gets even worse. So people say a lot, you know, like, a, you know, the cost is, you know, the problem is you hire someone there to fail. No, 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 that's not the pro- problem. If they fail, you remove them. The problem okay. is they come in they're mediocre, which is what almost always happens. They come in they're mediocre, just good enough not to get fired, never good enough to be a star. And that's how businesses die, right? Yeah. And so because we never coach them. And so I say like, look, so coaching is the most important thing for you to do as a sales manager, but you're not doing it. And why aren't you doing it? They're not doing it because they were never taught how to do it. They never got good coaching. They never, you know what I'm saying? So they got, hit or miss. They equate coaching to, oh shit, I hate going to the pipeline meetings because they're going to beat me up about this one deal. Rather <laughs> than, hey, let me transfer skills to you that you actually need to be successful to make me money. This is the thing that always kills me is like, you know, it's just, so what happens, it's even worse than what happens is I'm now, especially if you come from internally, if you come from inside the team, you started on the team, you're the one that gets a raise. Right. Forget the petty squabbling about they wanted the job or whatever. Forget that. Even if they don't have that, they also don't have respect for you. They, they see you as the person they knew sitting next to them the day before. So, they got So what happens is when they, when you as a manager don't know something, instead of saying, hey, I don't know, I'll go figure it out and come back to you, you don't do that. So, say you just kind of deflect, you don't focus on it or whatever. Even more important, when you see they could use a skill or they could do something better and you don't know what to do, you'll leave it alone. Because you don't want to look stupid, right? You don't, I don't, we were just, the guy already doesn't like me because I took, I took his job, he thinks. So the last thing I'm going to do is give him ammunition to make him feel better. Cool you're not serving your team, you're going to fail. That's all there is to it, right? It's so, so interesting. It, it's true. Like, and the thing is like, so we essentially, it's not even, we keep on setting people up for um, kind of you know, failure over and over and over again. And then we're surprised when they fail. We hire salespeople with no systems, we're surprised when they fail. We hire sales managers with no sales management training, we're surprised when they fail. And so it's always, and again, entrepreneurs are problem solvers. They're also a lot of times, and I'm one, egomaniacs the fact that we think we can do something better (laughs) we we think we can do it right before it's in order to do it you do that right i can handle this no problem i've never had experience here i got it right and so but that that's dangerous right because then where we always think everyone else thinks the same way and they're going to do the same work and they're not they're they're team members they're not the captain right so
1: yeah the funniest thing to me is you you touched on a little bit is every when you don't have that culture of coaching and you don't know how to coach every meeting turns into a pipeline meeting Yep, and then your reps get burned out because they yep. just feel like they're being judged constantly yep. and it's on. You just, you've got a huge,
0: huge problem. hundred percent. And if, how, if, if you have a coaching culture, what happens is reps will come to you that you will just see so much more humility and you'll just see so much more just actual like openness, you know, and, and just like you know, on the team because they know that it's a safe space for them to actually get better. Right. And the reality is like, I don't know any, any decent businesses now that have reps competing against each other on the same team. Right. Oh, I mean, so like the, the guy next to you, isn't your competition. Like you have Western region and he has Eastern region. Like you want to compete with him for, for, I, I'm all about competition, hundred percent, but like, Competition like, hey, I'm going to beat you, but I want us both to win. It's not yeah. zero sum, right? It's right, like, exactly. I want to be the best 100%, but I want the whole company to win because the company wins. I look even better, right? Now, if, uh, would you rather be the best salesperson on a business that went out of business? Would you rather no. be the best salesperson on the fastest growing company in the world? Of course, that's what, yeah. right? So, like, I want everyone to succeed. I just want to succeed plus one, right? And yeah. so, like, and that's good. And so, but so what happens is when you get that is like, they don't feel that comfort and so they don't do it. So now it becomes these gladiator schools where they're just kind of going after each other and no, everyone's, I don't tell anybody anything. I'm hiding the information on my CRM. I'm doing everything because I don't want to give it. I think that as soon as I give you information, you're going to come out. It. It's used as a weapon, you know. And so, and you'd see it. You know, one of the first transformational uh, kind of systems I learned, tra- uh, selling systems. I go through all of them, spin all rest of those kind of mm-hmm. things. They were good. I'd learned something from them. But I did R. Jacobs target account selling, and he actually led it when I was in Australia, and it changed my life because it kind of helped me realize that enterprise sales about politics and some other things. But it was also changed my life because what I saw was this amazing tool, amazing framework, which is the, called the one to 20th idea of, is there an opportunity? Can we get, so these kind of four core areas and then like 20s like there's a bunch of, but was a great system. Yeah. But it really focus on like wh- whether you, whether, a is there really an opportunity, but really focus on can we win it? Right? Is it worth winning? Can we win it? Who's our competition? It was really good? What's the politics internally? Who's a supporter? And was it, so it was all great in that case. But also, I saw that the dark side, which was a great lesson for me as well in my future growth which is see how it was misused as a way to attack reps. So what would happen is you'd go into these one to 20 meetings and everyone would be looking looking to kind of take you down, right? So you have these 20 questions, and so it becomes this viper school of hey, you yeah, one through seven's fine, but number eight is talking about this. No, it's about one through seven. It's talking about, you know, hey, you this well, and this is what I liked about it. Hey, right. Bobby, last time you asked me about this, this is what happens if you do this right. This is what it looks like. Not Bobby, you're a piece of shit, and he's that he's worse. And I it's like th- you become this collaborative nature, and that's not the way I saw it implemented. The way I saw right. it implemented was I want to look smarter than you. I'm going to use this to get like, you. Like, know, you got me. Uh, last month you got me on the Johnson deal. Watch this. You know, I'm going to wait. You know, I'm right. prepared. I spent more time last night preparing to attack my, you know, my, my peers. You know, had one to twenty review that I have actually planning my org chart on the customer I'm trying to make money from. Right. And so like it, yeah. it comes really weird. And that, the culture and so you can see those this this you have to have more of this kind of openness to coaching not just because it's effective but it will change how people it, employees will come to you with problems you want employees coming to you with problems not maybe not personal problems better. all the time but sure. you want that right i mean you, you you want them coming to you if you don't have that at best what will happen is when they have i don't uh, have they'll they, they bring you a problem that's easy to solve or that they've kind of already solved and they ask you the question what they're really trying to do is show, show you they've already solved the problem versus like hey I really don't have an answer here and this yep. is really and so what happens is that's where you are the most that's where you can help the most right if you got right. a job and go back to the star salesperson this is where you should be the most helpful like star salespeople that don't know how to manage should become the greatest coaches in the world because right. they realize they can talk about real life experience that's the best part. I was the greatest salesperson because I did this 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 and this I yep. have insight here I have insight there I mean that's, that's better than coming from, hey, I'm the new sales manager because I used to run accounting and I know, you know, the boss or whatever. And so, which happens sometimes, but, you know, the idea is that that forget management. Like, forget this idea that there's rules about, you know, this kind of stuff that really matters. What matters is your job is to make your people the best ever. Like, you know, if you, I used to say that my job as a leader is to, sure, set some vision that kind of stuff, but more importantly, my job is to get people, give them all the tools and resources they need to be successful, remove as many, any of the roadblocks as I can and support them. Get out of their way. Let them do their jobs, right? Hold them accountable. Give them high standards, support them, love them up, coach them up, get them back on the field with, with a play. If they decide they don't want to play, if they decide they're not going to do the work, they don't want to go to work, you know, that great easy you're making my decision yeah, easy here make right it easy. yeah exactly so uh, so you'll see that and so but what will happen is you'll just it doesn't happen as often because what will start happening is those awesome players you've got they'll start recommending friends because they know they can recommend a friend and it's not a viper pit and then their right. friend who's good they're not just their friend who's just a friend like because exactly. now we're a culture of winning like we win and we win because we support each other we win because and I say support it sounds like I'm this kumbaya guy. That's not me. I'm a capitalist. I get it. So I just know that it works. It's like the whole customer success thing. I I care about customer success a lot and a lot more than I ever did. And one is because I like my customers now, which is great, but also because I know dollar for dollar that if I take care of my customers and they actually stay, if I solve their problems, I understand how they want to buy. I help them buy their way they want. I help them deploy the tool the way they want. They're going to stay along longer and pay me more money. All right. And this Goes all the way back to you, that sounds new. Customer success is new. Predictable yeah. revenue, you know. Sorry, Zig Ziglar in 1970 used to say, "Help enough people, you can get whatever you want in life. If you help enough people, get what they want." That yeah. was his big catch cry. 70 years ago, 60 years ago, and it's, that is truly the core of it. And at the time when I heard it, when I first got into sales, saw door to door in the in the early 90s, you know, I, in high school, sell papers. Back when that was a yeah. thing as well. You know, <laughs> I listened to all this stuff and. Um the kind of I, I would take really good stuff, like some of the closing stuff, some of the, the mindset stuff was good and the goal setting all the rest of it, but I, ne- I didn't grok that at the time. I didn't understand the whole help of the people. Thing. I just not wasn't the didn't my sixteen year old brain didn't get it. And I went and worked for a company companies. That was not the culture of those companies. Right. And so like, you know, so it kinda of just faded away. I kind of knew it, but never it never I never owned it. Never, you know, it was never in me. And then 10 years ago, I started doing this like, Oh, I get it now. I get it. My job here is not to create a product or service for my market that, you know, I can trick them to, to retention. I can lock them into 12 month terms. I can you know, do all these kind of hacks to force them to stay longer or whatever. And I can do, let me, let me figure out what the line is to do the least amount of work for the most amount of profit or, you know, or whatever. How much can I outsource and off, offload my desk? And how do I right. make this a four hour work? kind of business or whatever it is? that is not serving your clients. And I don't care. Your success is going to be short lived. And, you know, and you look at, over and over again the companies that last are the ones that take the better care of their customers and that's just it's its not woo-woo it is science it's math you see it over and over and over again and the companies that take advantage and get, in, get a corporate or a competitive advantage cause they take advantage over and over again and they, they live for a while the Siebel systems of the world and then they yeah. get hostile. Right. That's just always to it. They're out. They're out. And they are monsters of their domain for a while. And you yeah. think they, they're never going to fall. And they always do because they didn't matter. Because if you don't care about your customers, life's going to change. You have new competitors. Okay. You have new markets. New, Someone's new going to take care of them. Something. Someone's going to. Yeah. And they're going to do it probably cheaper and easier than you do. So.
1: Well, Damian, this has been awesome. You know, one of the things that I got out of just doing a little digging on you was the fact that you go in and try to create sales cultures. Yeah. And I think out of this conversation we got to that like your passion your dedication to serving customers really comes out really appreciate you joining the show so where can people find you if they want to if they want to get to know you like yeah where do we yeah. send them
0: best place is, uh vpsales.co uh, or hit me up on twitter at, at, at damian thompson uh, with the a's uh and you can an email if you want the easiest one is uh dt at vpsales.co
1: all right damian thank you so much for joining the show it's awesome to have you
0: no worries josh appreciate it all right